This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on Africa News Tonight... When they give assurances, I think that's the right statement to do because you don't need to create more panic or to show the public, okay, you're not in charge of the situation. That's Nigeria's security expert, Senator Irugbu, on officials trying to ease concerns after several foreign embassies warned of a terror attack. Details coming up. Also, talks to end the war between Ethiopia and its Tigray region continue. The International Labour Organization warns economic and political crisis threatens the recovery of the global labour market. And 11 people died in a stampede at a concert in the DRC. We'll have these stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Talks to end the two-year-old war in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region continue today in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. But participants are keeping silent, making it difficult to assess progress, if any. Conflict between the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, and Ethiopian and Eritrean government troops on the other side has killed thousands of people and displaced millions over the past two years. Darren Taylor reports. The African Union mediation team is led by former Nigerian President Olusegun Obisanjo, who's backed by Kenya's former leader Uhuru Kenyatta and former South African Deputy President Pumzile Mlambo Nuka. Sources on the fringes of the talks say the team has struggled to make headway, with the best that can be hoped for in days to come, a slight cessation of hostilities. Research professor at the Chwane University of Technology in Pretoria, Mamo Mushi, has monitored the talks since they began last Wednesday. What I heard is that the expectation is not a final outcome, but at least some framework where the negotiation can continue to end the war. Mushi is also the founding chairman of the International Network of Ethiopian Scholars and an expert in science, technology and African development. If they agree as a precondition that from now on the best way to resolve the difficulties is to make sure some trust in the negotiation is implanted. If they have achieved something like this in this one week, it would be very good. But the problem is to create trust between them, what must be done. At this stage, says Mushi, the warring parties remain fundamentally distrustful of one another. This, he says, seems to have made it impossible for the TPLF and Ethiopian government delegations to agree to an immediate ceasefire, so the killing and destruction in Tigray continued while the talks unfolded. Mushi's convinced the ultimate path to peace lies in constitutional reform in Ethiopia. The ethnic constitution, the apartheid constitution, should be abolished. South Africa has an excellent constitution. I hope South Africa can, can also really, really motivate them to see if they could learn from the variety of ethnic groups you have here, tribal groups you have here. You do not use tribe, language, religion, everything. That division, that difference is not used to divide. I think that is the main achievement we should get is to remove completely nearly 30 years of this apartheid ethnic division. 
the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, of which the TPLF was the major part, governed the country for almost 30 years, until it lost elections in 2018. That's when Abiy Ahmed became Prime Minister, promising to centralize government and transform Ethiopia, doing away with ethnic regions and unifying the nation. The TPLF felt threatened by this and launched an insurgency in 2020. It's Mushi's hope that future talks spark an overarching unification process. If someone is from Oromo and they go to Tigray area, they are seen as foreigners. This is completely wrong. A complete change has to be made. That constitution is not changed. The negotiation doesn't make sense. You know why it doesn't make sense? Even if the TPLF agrees with the current government, there will still be conflicts. The conflict will not end. The main thing now is to end conflict forever. Mushi acknowledges this is a dream, but he reminds those at war that Nelson Mandela, for example, also achieved an impossible dream. South Africa has many problems, says Mushi, but they're the problems of one nation, not a country split into what he calls a puzzle of ethnic tensions and disagreements. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The International Labour Organization warns multiple economic and political crises largely triggered by the war in Ukraine and economic disruption in China are threatening the recovery of the global labour market. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. The ILO Monitor on the World of Work, published Monday, finds worsening labor market conditions are affecting both employment creation and the quality of jobs. The report says multiple overlapping crises, including the highest inflation rates for a decade, tighter monetary policies, and increasing debt burdens, are sapping consumer and business confidence. It says signs of global labor recovery seen earlier this year have withered away. The ILO estimates the number of hours worked globally in the third quarter of this year was 1.5% below pre-pandemic levels. This is equivalent to a loss of 40 million full-time jobs. ILO Director General Gilbert Umbo says this downward trend is largely driven by the economic disruption in China and the fallout from the war in Ukraine. For China, what essentially we're seeing is the... uh the disruption um, caused um, namely by uh, quite very um, strict uh, measure um, taken in, a, um, in reference to the management of uh, the, the, the COVID-19 uh, situation. Also the global um, tightening of, of the uh, um, fiscal um, and the monetary um, measures and the impact that could have on a domestic, uh, domestic consumption. In addition to the terrible humanitarian cost, the report notes the war in Ukraine is having a negative impact on the country's economy and labor market. The ILO estimates 2.4 million Ukrainians have lost their jobs this year because of the conflict. Ungbo says the impact of the war is being felt globally in rising food and fuel prices, increased food insecurity, and poverty. He says Russia's invasion of Ukraine is affecting and disrupting the labor markets and economies of neighboring countries. For example, in Tajikistan, the World Bank is projecting a 40% fall in migrant workers' remittances. And in uh, Kyrgyzstan, 
a 33% decline. These trends could easily shift into political and social destabilization. Authors of the report express concern that most of the job growth that exists is concentrated in the informal sector. This, they say, is jeopardizing the positive trend that has been made in the last 15 years toward formalizing employment. They say progress in narrowing the gender gap in employment also is at risk, and the economic gap between developed and developing countries is widening. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Nigeria's President Mohamedou Buhari is holding emergency meeting today with security chiefs after several foreign missions issued terror warnings last week for the capital Abuja. Timothy Obiezu reports. Buhari's spokesperson, Garba Shehu, made the announcement in a tweet late Sunday. He said top security officials, including the defense minister, armed services chiefs, police and heads of other security agencies will meet the president in Abuja on Monday morning. Shehu said the meeting is to further review and strengthen the security network in the country. The meeting follows series of warnings by various foreign missions in Nigeria of an elevated risk of terror attacks in Nigeria, especially the capital. The US, UK, Ireland, Canada, Germany, Denmark, Bulgaria, Finland and Australia last week issued advisories to their citizens warning against non-essential travel to Nigeria. Nigerian authorities insist the country is safe and that there's no cause for alarm. But the warning caused fears among residents and led to the shutdown of businesses and activities. Security expert Senator Irebu says authorities are only trying to allay fears, but that the warnings must be taken seriously. We have to continue as members of the public because we want safety, we want stability. We have to continue demanding that, okay, they should also improve. When they give assurances, I think that's the right thing to do because you don't need to create more panic or to show the public, okay, you're not in charge of the situation. Nigerian security forces have been battling jihadist groups in the northeast for years, but concerns that such groups may be expanding their attacks elsewhere are growing. In June, authorities blamed Islamic State West Africa province, or ISWAP, for an attack on a church in southwest Nigeria that killed 40 worshippers. It was the first attack in the region to be blamed on a terrorist group. One month later, ISWAP claimed responsibility for a massive jailbreak in Abuja that freed more than 800 inmates. More than half of the escapees were recaptured, but hundreds more are at large including more than 60 terror detainees. Last Monday, security agencies raided a residential area in the capital and arrested at least two terrorism suspects, according to local media reports. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Today, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, U.S. Africa Business Center, announced the top three finalists in the first Africa Digital Innovation Competition. The finalists are Amodeye Abioro, CEO and co-founder of Health Biobotics, Ore Alamade, co-founder of Grow Agric, and Frank Nana Ade, co-founder of Shopa. 
The annual competition held in partnership with the U.S. African Development Foundation and American Chambers of Commerce across Africa rewards African innovators, entrepreneurs, and startups that use digital products and services to have a positive impact on African citizens. VOA is a media partner in the competition. Scott Eisner, president of the U.S. Africa Business Center, and Travis Atkins, president, U.S. Africa Development Foundation, announced the finalists just a short time ago, live on VOA's Africa 54 television news. Moments after the announcement, VOA's Paul Ndiho spoke with each finalist. Let's hear what they have to say. First up is Imodoye Abioro. From Nigeria, CEO of Health Botics, which uses a mobile application and a 24-7 call center to serve as a logistics hub for medical facilities around Nigeria. This is an amazing piece of news. Uh, I am so excited. It's, it represents an entirely new dimension for what we do at Health Botics, and I'm so grateful. Uh, Health politics has come a really long way uh, since our pilot, and we've been supported all through it by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So it's kind of poetic that they come in again at such an important inflection point in our journey to give us that extra help that we need. Thank you so much. Next up is Frank Nana Ade, co-founder of Shopa, a Ghana business-to-business e-commerce system providing financial services to small informal grocery shops. It helps them get access to supplies and manufacturers. Wow. Wow. I can't, I can't even have my excited, um, excitement. I'm really excited about this. And I want to thank the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce African Business Unit and also U.S. Uh, uh, Develop- African Development Foundation for this opportunity. Um, at Shopper, we believe that the informal retailers are the backbone of the, of the African continent, driving the African economy. And we're actually happy um, helping these uh, retailers um, uh, by connecting them to manufacturers of fast-moving consumer goods. And we are really, really excited about this opportunity. And I want to thank the organizers and everyone and my team as well. I'm really, really excited. Our last finalist is Ore Alamidi, co-founder of Grow Agric, a Kenyan company that provides a platform to help small and mid-sized farmers to farm better and earn more. I'm glad to be representing the ladies. Um, this, is, this is very amazing. This is great news for us to be recognized as an ag tech that is looking to build a farmer first organization. Um, it, it's, it's such great news for us. And um, we strongly believe that with the partnership and, and with this um, award, we would be able to even impact more farmers. We're very passionate about the SDG goals, increasing farmers' revenue, helping them um, farm better and better. And the opportunity to be able to even do that much more just makes us really excited. And I just want to say big well done to my entire team as well, because without them, we would not be here today. The three finalists will come to Washington, D.C. in December to compete for the top slots and cash prices of up to $25,000. Congratulations to the three finalists and to all of the 1,700 entrepreneurs who entered the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center created the competition. 
The United Nations Security Council has called on the parties to the conflict over the Western Sahara to resume negotiations toward a settlement. The Security Council resolution approved Thursday extended the UN mission for the referendum in Western Sahara for a year. Western Sahara, a Spanish colony until 1975, is mostly desert but boasts immense phosphate resources and rich Atlantic fishing grounds. Morocco claims it and controls about 80% of the land. The Algeria-backed Polisario Front, which seeks self-determination for the local Sahrawi people, controls the rest. The two sides battled over the land until 1991 when the UN brokered the ceasefire and promised a referendum would be held to allow the Sahrawi people self-determination. That vote has not happened, and the dispute simmered until 2020 when then-U.S. President Donald Trump recognized Moroccan sovereignty over Western Sahara in exchange for the kingdom's normalization of relations with Israel. Ahmed Fatih, a U.N. correspondent and a global affairs analyst, discussed the stalemate with Moroccan ambassador to the U.N., Omar Hilal. The path to reach a solution is to come back to the round tables. As far as we are not talking to each other, as far as we are refusing to sit with each other, as far as we are not ready to come back to the round tables, of course there is no path. With the horse corner, the previous uh, special envoy, there was progress that had been made on psychological aspects, on the substance, on the autonomy, on the referendum. Everything had been discussed and there was peace, there was uh, uh, light where we, we can go. The direction was very clear. But unfortunately, when he, he left, the facilitation, uh, everything, we went back to the square zero. Uh, Kenyan uh, president, the new Kenyan president, Ratu, uh, he made a statement that he is withdrawing Kenya's recognition uh, of the SADR, the Polisario. What's your reaction on the Kenyan's position and is there now a breakthrough or more understanding in East Africa, the same way it has been achieved uh, on the western part of the continent? We trust the word of uh, President Ratu. He withdrew the recognition. He put a a tweet on that. For us, the recognition has been uh, withdrawn. Of course, there is interpretation about why he withdrew his tweet, but he didn't deny the, the tweet. But anyway, that's uh, details. The important is that now we are starting a new page with Kenya based on our uh, reciprocal interests, political, economical, trade, agriculture, cooperation, security, trade, all. It's a real a large spectrum of field of cooperation, and that's what is more important. That was Morocco's ambassador to the UN, Omar Hilal. He spoke to journalist Ahmed Fatih. Sidi Omar, the Polisario Front representative to the United Nations, criticized what he called continued inaction by the Security Council. He also rejected what he called Moroccan attempts to impose its plan controlling the Western Sahara and granting its autonomy.
After the Security Council vote, Omar said Morocco leaves the Sahrawi people with no other option but to continue and intensify the legitimate armed struggle for self-determination. However, he said, the Polisario Front is committed to participate fully in efforts to negotiate a move towards self-determination. Nine spectators and two police officers died yesterday in a stampede in a concert in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The deaths occurred at a performance by Africa music star Fali Ipupa in Kinshasa's largest stadium. The French news agency AFP quotes Interior Minister Daniel Asselo Okito as saying, the organizers went beyond 100% capacity them and they must be punished. Authorities say the venue was jammed with people, including the corridors. The Congolese press agency said the police, who had cordoned off three areas to secure the pitch, the VIP stand and the stage, could not hold back the pressure of the crowd. According to AFP, Ipupa said... It appeared they were jostling at the exit and around the stadium and spectators were dragged to their deaths. He offered condolences to the families of the victims. The incident happened hours after at least 150 people were killed in Seoul, South Korea in a stampede at a Halloween celebration. Leading diamond producers are meeting in Habrone for a summit on the sustainable use of natural diamonds. The meeting comes just a day before Botswana's capital hosts a crucial Kimberley process meeting where the fate of Russia's diamonds will be discussed. Speaking at the summit today, Botswana President Mukwese Masisi emphasized the need to mine the pressure stones for sustainable development. He says there is now more awareness on the operations of the diamond mining industry amid concerns over stones mined to finance conflict. More importantly, we want to continue working collectively with industry to respond to the needs of the consumer who purchase our products. We are aware that retail clients now increasingly demand to know among other things, where the diamonds that they purchased were sourced from. They want to know how the diamonds have improved the communities living in the areas where they are mined. The Natural Diamond Summit is held on the eve of the Kimberley Process Plenary, which will draw participants from across the globe. Botswana's Minister of Minerals, Lefoko Mwahi, says the meeting on natural diamonds comes at an opportune time. This is therefore a pivotal time for the industry to prepare for the future and determine henceforth how we navigate the uncertainty that we often encounter as stakeholders in the diamond trade. Our common concern for the future and interest in ensuring that natural diamonds continue to be an important symbol of love and beauty across the world is what brings us here today. The Natural Diamond Summit is organized by the Botswana government and the world's leading diamond producer, De Beers. Bruce Clever, De Beers Managing Director, says the company has come up with initiatives to ensure transparency in its mining operations. We also see traceability and transparency as key elements of a successful diamond business. And one such example is the development and acceleration of our Tracer blockchain platform. The world's first fully distributed diamond blockchain platform providing immutable evidence of diamonds' provenance for all the way from source to retail. 
Botswana is the chair of the Kimberley process and delegates are expected to deliberate on the status of Russia's diamonds following Moscow's invasion of Ukraine in February. Botswana is also bidding to host the Kimberley process on a permanent basis but face challenges from Austria and China. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Khabarone, Botswana. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Patrick Dea, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Music.